You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, we give you thanks for this morning. We thank you for um, this word from Matthew's gospel, which some of us uh, already heard uh, in worship this morning. Ask, Lord, that you would uh, teach us, uh, teach us what you taught those disciples some 2,000 years ago. And even more, Lord, more than being our teacher, we know you're our Savior. And so we pray that that word of life would be held out to us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, what you have before you, we're going to be doing a five-week class on the Sermon on the Mount, which really... I mean, it works out well for us preachers because that's what's in the lectionary. So on Sundays, you'll, you'll get a, a double dose, as it were. And so the Sermon on the Mount, this is Jesus' first uh, public teaching, first public um, sermon in Matthew's Gospel. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. But if you do um, or want to write down for reference, you know, uh, Jesus is baptized in chapter 3. And that's sort of uh, John the Baptist uh, handing off the baton in some ways to Jesus. Uh, you remember John uh, said, there's one coming uh, after me who I'm not worthy uh, to untie his, uh, his sandals. And so uh, Jesus receives the baptism from John. And again, that's such a curious scene, right? Why would Jesus be baptized? Jesus is uh, sinless. Jesus is perfect. And I love that hymn we sing. I, I wish I had the number. We sing it often, but it says, for us, baptized. For us, he was baptized. And so come on in. Uh, if, if you want to stay, yeah, no, no pressure. Yeah, there's a sheet right here with, uh, with the scripture on it. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking at the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So he's baptized by John in chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, promptly after being baptized, um, and this is a good, in some ways, illustration for us. We often think the Christian life is just easy. You know, once you're saved and uh, baptized, whatever you want to say, that it's just all hunky-dory. But this is a great illustration. As soon as he's baptized, he's driven into the wilderness and he's tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And so, not that you and I can re- recapitulate what Jesus has done, but I think in similar fashion, um, even as we're baptized, even if we uh, come to faith, and even as we're um, spiritual people, if you want to say that, uh, we're not immune from temptation. If the Son of God himself uh, was not immune, then, then you and I are not either. So by the time we get to the end of chapter 4, he calls his disciples. He set out on this public ministry. Uh, And you notice, if you have a Bible, in verse 17 of chapter 4, he he has a brief line. He says, repent, this is Jesus, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And again, that dovetails with John's message. John uh, preached, uh, repent, um, repent, repent. And so Jesus, in some ways, is a link between the two. But we notice that he goes on. There's There's a different word than simply repentance. So he calls his first disciples uh, thereafter, and he calls just a bunch of bumbling, stumbling, uh, forgive me, morons. Um, and I, it takes one to know one, okay? I, I, uh, I can count myself among them. But you notice when he calls them, he doesn't, he doesn't have an interview question. He doesn't have um, references that he calls. He doesn't ask for a resume. He simply says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, there's a lot of good news in that. Uh, similarly to us, Jesus doesn't say, all right, show me your resume. Show me what you've done. In fact, he says, I, I don't care about that. I've forgiven you of your past. And the gentle invitation is, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So who do they go out to fish for? We, we learn immediately. He goes and fishes for uh, not the leaders, not the priest, not the CEOs, not that there's anything wrong with that, not the people on top, uh, but seemingly those who are on bottom, uh, the losers in society. At the end of chapter 4, he goes after um, the sick, 
the afflicted, those with diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, uh, and he healed them. In other words, uh, this great fisher of men is fishing for the fish that you and I would throw back. The fish that you and I would throw back, Jesus says, I've come uh, to rescue them. All right, that was a lot of uh, introduction to get to where we are. Jesus' first public sermon. Um, Jesus' first public sermon, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And we begin, uh, as Craig mentioned at the 9, Jesus uh, sits down on the mountain. uh, And in verse 2, it says he opened his mouth. And again, that's a literary kind of uh, mark to say, this is very important. Listen, Uh, someone who's about to teach is about to speak. Now, Jesus, we know... That's a great question. You know, I've actually never been to the Holy Land, and I, I do think, um, yeah, I, I don't know offhand uh, the name of it, but I do think there is a site uh, that I don't know if tradition would hold it or if there's any historical veracity to that. My guess is, I mean, there's, there's not probably a lot um, to choose from. I mean, they probably have narrowed it down well uh, where it might have been historically. I want to follow up on that. Let me, let me do some study on that this week. Um, have any of you been to the Holy Land? Okay, yeah, so you're, you might be our one and only who, who's been. I won't quiz you on it, but um, yeah. <laughs> in, any case, uh, in any case, sorry for those uh, listening on the recording. Um, in any case, uh, where else in Scripture have we seen someone uh, go up on a mountain and teach? Moses. We see Moses do that. All of Israel in some way uh, was there present to hear, but it was Moses who went up. And it was Moses, actually, who sat down as well and taught, uh, taught the law. Now, I don't think Matthew is necessarily saying here. I do think there are parallels. I think it's clear there are parallels between Moses and Jesus. But Jesus is not a new Moses. It's just not going to work, is it? Let's try it right here. Jesus is not a new Moses. Uh, Jesus is doing something altogether different. You remember that scene in the Gospels, uh, the Transfiguration, uh, where Jesus is transfigured, and the disciples, uh, James... Uh, and Peter are with him. Uh, I believe it's James and Peter. I know Peter's there. And um, they see Jesus, and they see Elijah and Moses. And then shortly thereafter, Elijah and Moses fade away. In other words, uh, Jesus is the Messiah. Those other ones uh, surely uh, were great prophets and teachers, but they are not the Messiah. So Jesus is doing something altogether new. Yes, he, in some way, uh, we could say he's teaching like Moses. There is law in the Sermon on the Mount. There is uh, what we would call law. But often, uh, this is a gracious word for you and me, I think the Sermon on the Mount is often hijacked by people who think we have control. You know, we can do this. We have the ability uh, to do what Jesus commands. And I think as you read, and we'll go over this the next few weeks, uh, this law is increasingly difficult, uh, particularly on anger and lust, um, that, that difficult word on divorce, on keeping our word, on retaliation, on how to love our enemies. I mean, who among us? Can, can achieve this. But that's not where he starts, is it? Where he starts, in verse 2, he opens his mouth and teaches them, saying, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, how would you start your first public sermon or teaching? Just imagine for a moment. Who would you address? What might you say? Not that it really matters what we might say, but I think it clues us in. I mean, I think I'd be ready to wag my finger and tell people what's what, But Jesus comes with a gracious word. And again, remember, he's aimed for the lowest uh, rung of the ladder in society. And he comes with a gracious word, not a, well, why don't you do better? Why don't you go get a job? Why don't you try harder? 
Why don't you fix your relationships? No, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I, I sense in this, um, in Jesus, of course, uh, great mercy, graciousness, sympathy, and even um, empathy. I think all of these Beatitudes, this is a point I'll make towards the end, Jesus himself fulfills this word. Uh, the Son of Man uh, had no place to lay his head. We could say that Jesus lived a poor life. Now, to say he's poor in spirit, uh, that's, that's difficult to say outright. But as you read the Gospels, he had highs and he had lows, just like all of us. Sinless all the way through, but, um, but uh, had, had lows. And, you know, it's interesting that you say, look how he begins it. Yeah. Because to, in today's church and with evangelists, they, their hook is prosperity. Yeah, that's they start with come to Christ and you'll be blessed and you'll you know prosper and, yeah. and that's how they're getting people in instead of the real hard truth of you know become a Christian and watch out. Absolutely, yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, as, as you turn on the television or you know, I, my generation's more into YouTube, I think. Um, but even YouTube, I mean, the flashy stuff is what gets all the clicks, the likes, uh, um, the airtime. And you're right, Mary. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Prosperity gospel, which they're more clever now. I feel like they don't call themselves prosperity gospel teachers, but that's a perennial kind of uh, danger. Is that we would teach, um, we would teach that if you come to church, everything is going to be just hunky dory. And of course, we know that's not true. That's not how Jesus lived. I mean, Jesus, as I made a point a moment ago, Jesus did not evade temptation. And of course, as you read the Gospels, and particularly the high point, uh, the low point, you might say, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's sweating blood. Uh, where he's uh, toiling over uh, his fate. And he says, Father, if this cup can pass from me, you know, spare me. And of course, we see that even Jesus himself was not spared. So again, what would the world say? The world would say, blessed are who? Who would the world would say? I mean, these are not the ones the world would pick, right? Blessed are the winners. Blessed are the Blessed are the leaders. Blessed are the successful, blessed are the tenacious, blessed are those who uh, get what belongs to them, blessed are uh, those who can help themselves. I mean, all those things. Think about the Nike commercials, just do it. Uh, or um, uh, what's Adidas, impossible is nothing. I mean, there's this, there's this teaching in the world that if you just try really hard, uh, you can achieve it. And so that gets um, brought into the church, as Mary said, often uh, through a false gospel. But again, this is counterintuitive. This is not what we would expect to hear. Even from the Old Testament, to a degree. The Old Testament, which is God's Word fully, but uh, you can misread the Old Testament and think, if I just follow the law, everything will go really, really well for me. But no, Jesus has a new word. He's turning, turning the logic of the world on its head and saying, blessed, that is, you know the word, by the way, blessed, makarios is the Greek word. And in, in short, this is kind of banal, but uh, to say happiness, happy, happy. Uh, fulfilled, the full life, uh, you might say. Aristotle talks about it uh, in his ethics, and he uses the word makarios in the word, I think it's uh, eudemea, I may be pronouncing that incorrectly, and those are more or less interchangeable. But from a human side, uh, in Greek, often eudemea is what we could accomplish. Uh, makarios, this blessed word, was really more for the gods, for the divine. And so by the time Jesus uses this word, that distinction was lost. It more or less just meant happy for anybody or fulfilled. But again, he is saying happy and fulfilled and blessed are those who otherwise we would never count as happy, fulfilled, or blessed. Let's just look at the list here. I don't want to um, 
truncate them all. We can go we can go line by line. But blessed are the poor in spirit. Now in Ma- Luke's gospel, uh, we have a similar account, but he says blessed are the poor, which is pretty fascinating. So uh, it's unclear whether he said it twice or if uh, Luke or Matthew kind of um, uh, left left sort of an interpretation there of what he might have meant. Uh, but Luke says blessed are the poor. But here we have it in Matthew: blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs not will be, but is. The kingdom of God. Isn't that fascinating? Not not will be, but is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's a promise. There's uh, perhaps an eschatological promise or a future end time promise that while we mourn in this life, uh, the promise is that we will one day be comforted. Uh, as the book of Isaiah and Revelation says, he will wipe away every tear. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Again, what, what does meek mean, as you understand it? Weak? Yeah, weak. I mean, we've kind of baptized it and think it's a really positive thing, which it is, according to Jesus. But, I mean, yeah, kind of weak. Kind of, um, yeah, not, not strong, that's for sure. Reserved? Reserved, yeah, perhaps, yeah. Yeah. And again, uh, in our in our world, that is never the case. Never is it the case that the ones who are weak or reserved or shy or uh, standoffish to a degree uh, they don't get they don't get the spoils. Uh, it's those who are uh, proactive, those who have a loud voice. What's the saying? Um, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. That's what we're taught from an early age, and that's why little babies cry because they know in crying they're going to get attention. Um, not to layer that too much with um, a doctrine of sin, but I do think there's a selfishness there, a, a need, a helplessness indeed, but I think it warps itself uh, in all of us into a selfishness. I, I was reading an account, I don't know if this is true, this is a little off topic, but um, there was an orphanage in Russia um, where they said it was so silent, it was eerily silent, the children were not crying because they learned that crying got them nothing there. I mean, doesn't that just break your heart? That children, little babies, learn, um, they've been conditioned to say, well, crying's not getting me anything. I better toughen up and figure it out for myself. But Jesus is comforting and blessing uh, those of us who, who can't comfort or help ourselves. We're in great need, uh, and he's approached us. Verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And you'll have to forgive me, I've for some reason cut off verse 12. I'm going to read it. Um, I'm going to read it from my Bible here. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now again, uh, I introduced that topic of um, the future, what we call the eschaton, eschatology, uh, last thing. So a lot of these promises, um, we believe, will not come to fruition until, as we talked about at 9 o'clock, like Catherine Jacob, until we've gone and seen the Lord. So these rewards are hers now, and those of us who've lost loved ones or friends, uh, or those in the church, uh, they've received that reward. But it's it's interesting, isn't it? In verse 3, there's is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that that's fascinating to me. It's a present tense um, recognition. 
And again, uh, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand in chapter 4. In other words, the kingdom of heaven is, is Jesus. And so the poor in spirit have uh, indeed received him. Now, all of these uh, collectively, I don't think they're meant to be uh, exhaustive. I think if, you, if we sat Jesus down, I think he could, he could extend it. Uh, in our common you know, understanding now, blessed are the losers. Blessed are those who are down and out. Blessed are those um, who are really struggling. I mean, just imagine what he might say in the 21st century. Um, when we hear these words over the course of our life, we, we kind of baptize them and they become holy. But I want you to think practically for a minute. Who would Jesus be speaking to today? And I don't want you to just think in socioeconomic or racial terms. While all of that's certainly true, I think each one of us can relate to, if not all of these at one portion in our life, at least some of them. At least some of them, if we're being honest with ourselves. But again, the empathy comes in to me. Jesus, Jesus is fulfilling all of these things. He's not uh, an ivory tower type of God who stands far away abstractly saying this. He's someone who became incarnate and says these words as a man, as a human person, who experienced hurt, who experienced uh, poverty, who experienced uh, great grief and mourning, who himself was meek, who indeed uh, hungered and thirsted for righteousness on this side of eternity, who was merciful, who indeed was pure in heart, who was a peacemaker, who was persecuted and reviled and had all other kinds of evil uh, falsely uh, spoken about him. My point in saying all this is we don't have a God who doesn't understand our grief or our sorrow. We have a God who uh, not only understands it, uh, but completely empathizes because he experienced it. And there's power in that. I don't know about when you're in grief, but when someone speaks to you and they haven't gone through your struggle or your pain, um, it's hard to kind of understand when they try to console you. They don't, they don't know exactly what to say. But when someone's been there before, um, and it's not always the case, but when they've been there before, it's like you can connect deeper. You can, you can really feel uh, their love for you. Jesus is someone who uh, experienced all this. And even more, again, extend the list, even more. Um, so this is not meant to be exhaustive, and it's not meant to be something we follow. It's not something we aim for. Oh, I'm going to be poor in spirit today. Or I'm going, to, I'm going to mourn today. I'm going to really be uh, grieving over something. But in every facet of our life, when we're, when we're down and out, when we're suffering, uh, when we're having hard times, Jesus is tenderly approaching us and saying, Blessed are you. I recognize you. I see you. I know your plight. Blessed are you. And again, taking uh, that logic to its full conclusion, in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the cross, um, before that even, at, at the tomb of Lazarus, watching his uh, beloved friend uh, um, you know, um, be, die. Um, we've all been there. Jesus knows our, our every struggle, uh, and, he, and he's been there for us. So I think theologically, the point here is Jesus empathizes with us. He's a God who got down in the ditch with us. Instead of saying, pick yourself up, what are you doing? He gets in the ditch with us uh, and heals our wounds and raises us to new life by his resurrection. There's great power in that. Uh, there's tremendous power in that. Because again, if I were um, a god, thanks, thank God I'm not, uh, or if I was to dream up uh, what a god might be, this would be the last thing I would fathom. A god who would choose to suffer and choose to be um, uh, one who would know our sorrows so intimately. And yet, this, this is the, the real god. This is the one true god. I want to give you all a moment to, to think about it and reflect and
yeah, give me any comments or ask any questions. Could you expand on eschatology? You said it was the end. Is that basically verse 12? Certainly verse 12, uh, that your reward will be great in heaven or is great in heaven, but of course uh, we achieve it. Um, yeah, I think, so eschatology is just the study of end times. Oh. And so that, that's, that can be a, a long list of things. Often we think of books like Daniel or Revelation, or even the end of Matthew's Gospel, there's sort of a, a mini-apocalypse, if you will. Um, the, the eschaton, the idea that all of this is promised to us in the here and now, uh, but there's also a not yet kind of function. And we've not yet achieved um, uh, the fullness uh, of eternal life. We have it in a sense. The kingdom of heaven is, is operative in Jesus and by the Spirit. But um, as St. Paul says, we see through a glass dimly. And until we see Jesus face to face, we won't know the full breadth and depth of, of these promises. In other words, uh, in heaven, uh, we'll, we'll know the fullness of this. It, it, I mean, it's easy to look at it and think of, think of it as prescriptive, but it, I mean, it's more descriptive. It's yeah. Um, you know, just the, the actuality of how things are. Ab- absolutely. So uh, Ron raised a, a distinction there, prescriptive as opposed to descriptive. Uh, what does that mean? Prescriptive means a list of things that you and I need to aim for and try to do. It's prescribed to us. Uh, As a doctor would prescribe medicine to you, take it. Uh, So prescribing that we would follow this. And and Ron's right, it's not prescriptive. It actually just, uh, it's a mirror of who we are. It's it's holding up, describing uh, the plight that we are as humans uh, that we we live in. And I'm going to use that distinction going forward too, particularly when we get to the, the law parts of the Sermon on the Mount. Again, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is hijacked often um, into something that we can achieve. Again, not prescriptive, but descriptive of what a, a life in God actually looks like. Thanks, thanks for raising that. We'll, we'll talk a lot about that over the next few weeks. Well, I did want to give us one minute. You might have seen the other side of your, uh, your sheet. And... Um, I love Johnny Cash. I mean, that's an understatement of understatements, but uh, I'm going to see if I can get this plugged up and play Man in Black for us. Have you all heard the song? Surely you have. If you haven't, uh, you get the great joy to do it now. But I kind of hear that empathetic, Christological um, um, tone in Johnny Cash, and I kind of think of Jesus, in a way, as our Man in Black. I really think... um, I mean, when I read that, I just hear, I hear Jesus. I hear Jesus blessing us in our darkness, blessing us in our brokenness. And again, I'm not conflating and saying Johnny Cash is our Savior, but I, I think he was inspired by our Savior and certainly a, a Christian. Uh, and I, yeah, I think of Jesus on Good Friday as our man in black, as, as bearing all of our iniquities, our sorrows, our pains. And I think in some ways, the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly these Beatitudes, is sort of a preview of that. He's doing that uh, in word, that which he'll accomplish in deed. Um, I preach a sermon whenever I'm up on, um, you might hear it. I'm going to go ahead and let the six of you, five of us, and those here, the recording, know um, I use Johnny Cash on Palm Sunday. And I do a whole, I mean, a whole preview of, uh, of Holy Week with Johnny Cash songs. And I always culminate on uh, Man in Black on Good Friday. I don't want to give them all away, but um, they're, they're, they are 
profound songs. And, um, one of his more recent ones, that the video is of the rotting fruit. What is that? Hmm. I don't know if I've seen the video. I did. A whole, we had a whole Bible study. Which one? It's um. It's the one. It's a cover of um. Oh, yes. hurt! I hurt yes. myself today. That's yeah, that one. Uh, and that one, powerful. in a similar vein, that can kind of fit this as well. Mm. Uh, Jesus knows our hurts. Why is this good news for you and for me? I mean, again, the world tells us to do something, try harder, make something of yourself. And I don't want to discount that in our careers. I don't want to discount that in our particular callings and to say, yeah, do your best. Uh, I remember being a student growing up, my mom was not disappointed in me in like a moral way, but she was like, I know you can do better. I actually know you can do better. And that may be true in academics or in our career. Then again, it may not be. But I think in life, um, we all experience hardship and brokenness. And sometimes there is no cure. There's no um, amount of effort that we could have fixed the problem. And some things just happen to us uh, even outside of our effort. Uh, some things just we're victims at the same time. We're both uh, we're both victims and we're both uh, those who are guilty uh, at the same time. And so the answer, the only answer, is uh, Jesus, uh, who says it is finished on the cross. And blessed, going through this list, blessed are those of us uh, who've been addressed by Him. Blessed are those of us uh, who He has uh, encountered and grasped and saved and restored and forgiven. And, and been given a new life. So that's what I wanted to share with you all this morning. We still got a few minutes, but there's no need to fill the time if uh, you don't have anything else to reflect on. Well, um, this makes me think of Gil did a Bible study. I think he used mo- movies every time. Oh, cool. And um, one was Saving Private Ryan, and the end where he's um, at the grave and um, he's being told. Or it's the Tom Hanks character telling him, earn this, deserve this. Mm. You know, the um, lives that were forfeited to go find him and bring him back. And what a burden that was. Absolutely. You know, the restriction and, you know, what, and I think that is part of our human nature. We think so much that we have to earn grace and mercy and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to receive that it's a gift. Mm-hmm. You know, we still are, you know, spinning our wheels thinking, I must earn this. Every part of our life otherwise teaches us that. I mean, this really is countercultural, counterintuitive, uh, counter to everything we've, we've been taught. And yet, for those of us who's tasted it and experienced it, even to a small degree, we know it's the truest thing that's ever uh, been, that we are just simply uh, beggars. As Luther says, we are beggars. I'll have to go watch Saving Private Ryan again. That sounds... It's a powerful movie, but but yeah, that's heavy. That's heavy. Earn it. Yeah, we can't earn it. We can't. We just received the gift. Any other thoughts on Matthew or Mr. Cash's song? Very appropriate. I love how you tied it into your word on the adventurer. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm swimming in Matthew right now. It's just unavoidable. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's pray and we'll be, uh, we'll be dismissed. Uh, gracious Lord, we do thank you that uh, you indeed are our man in black, uh, that you've borne all of our sorrows and iniquities and pains, not as a God far away and abstract, but Lord, a, a God who's uh, intimate and knows us uh, down to the hair on our head and knows our pains and our sorrows. We thank you, Lord, that you've addressed us, and you have indeed blessed us. You've not left us to figure things out on our own. 
but you've blessed us, you've saved us, and you love us. So may that be with us throughout this day and throughout this week. And Lord, may it be infectious. May it show off to others, not to point them to us, but to point them to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. 